We're so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Thanks, man. Okay, uh, Bible reading today is from John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, uh, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, worship team. Uh, Good morning, church. Good morning here. Uh, Give me a wave if you're here. If you're online, I'm not going to look at that right now because it's a bit distracting to try and preach and scroll through social media at the same time. But I'd love for you to say hi so that when I go back later, I can go and say hi and uh, we can chat with you. Looks like Simon's doing both. So that's double, double dipping there, Simon. Um... Well, yes, good morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have had an absolutely horrible week. Uh, And before you feel too sorry for me, it's uh, all first world problems. No one uh, that I know of has died, Uh, but I've had one thing after another um, frustrating me. Uh, My mental health at times has not fared well uh, in the midst of all of that. Uh, I'm not going to give those things oxygen uh, in this context this morning. But I do want to say one of those things was at 2am this morning, my word processor crashed along with all my sermon notes. Um, So if you rely on the YouVersion app notes, they're not there this morning. But don't worry, I don't have notes either. I've got a post-it note. 
uh, this morning. So this could take three seconds. This might take five hours. So uh, strap yourself in. Um, the real reason I mention that, though, is um, the word that keeps coming to mind um, this week for me that I think God's putting on my heart is contend. Um, in the midst of what's been going on for me uh, is contend. And I feel like that's more than just for me. Uh, the, 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 the issues I've been facing are practical, uh, worldly issues, but the scriptures remind us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, um, but against powers and authorities and principalities in the spiritual realm or heavenly realm. Um, and so I want to encourage you, whatever you're in the midst of in life at the moment, that God wants to encourage you to contend, not just in the practical, but in the spiritual uh, and I, I'm going to pray now as we come to God's Word. And uh, I really want to contend for us this morning because, uh, you know, I know the parable of the sower tells us that, that the enemy wants to come and snatch away the Word. Uh, and so the enemy will come and also try and crowd out the Word or, or do anything so that the Word this morning, we always think about that, that parable of the sower is, is about salvation, which it is. Um, but it's also about just the, the, the sharing of the Word in each moment. And so I'm going to pray and contend this morning that, that the enemy would be bound up and, and, and not able to snatch away or crowd out or distract from what God wants you to hear from his word this morning. Not from my lips. That's kind of, I'm just irrelevant unless it's God speaking through me to you. And so Heavenly Father, we contend in the name of Jesus as we've saying, you have no rival, Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, we bind up any spiritual force that would seek to snatch away, distract, crowd out, dehydrate your word this morning. We pray that this morning we would be by your spirit enabled to be fertile soil. That any opposition to your word bearing fruit in our lives this morning would be bound up and cast aside. Mm, and give us a focus on your word this morning that, that goes beyond how interesting my words are or my presentation, Lord. Let, let that be irrelevant, but give us a focus upon your word this morning that cannot be shaken, that cannot be snatched away, that cannot be uprooted, that cannot be crowded out by the noise of the world, that grows deep roots and flourishes to life this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this story that Neil's read for us this morning is a, is a story of a profound act of love. We read, just to reread some of those words, the, the, the act that we're talking about in, in John 13, verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. And so this act of washing his disciples' feet was a profound act of love. Uh, this act of, of washing feet in, in first century Palestine was disgusting. If you've heard a sermon about this uh, passage, you've no doubt heard that uh, the, the, the streets were not just dusty, but the streets were also the sewers. 
Um, there was no kind of sewerage ways in, in Jerusalem, and so uh, the filth of life was all out in the street, uh, and people wore open sandals everywhere. And, and so feet were disgusting. I mean, even today with nice shoes and, and all of that, feet can get disgusting, but these feet were disgusting. And not only that, though, because of that disgustingness, this was considered a degrading job. Uh, so if you were having a meal uh, in, in, a, in a wealthy person's household, uh, they, they would have a servant or a slave wash the feet of their guests. But it was so degrading that it had to be kind of the lowest level slave. And, and usually if a Jewish person had found themselves in slavery, they weren't allowed to do it because it was beneath even a, a Jewish slave. It had to be one of those Gentiles to wash the feet. It's kind of one of the few times that a Gentile person was allowed anywhere near a righteous Jew to touch them, was to wash their feet. And, and so this job was a job that was considered for the least of the least in every situation. Except for on very rare occasions, it may be considered an act of love or devotion for, say, a wife for her husband. Uh, there's a story in uh, the Jewish rabbinical literature about uh, a rabbi coming home and his wife wanting to wash uh, his feet and he says, no, that's below you, that's, that's below what my wife should be doing. Keeping in mind that the, the social status of women wasn't uh, too high in those days, but, but, but she actually went to other rabbis to, in a sense, get permission because she wanted to, as an act of love and devotion, be the only one who would wash her husband's feet. Uh, sometimes a student may wash the feet of their teacher, of their rabbi. as an act of devotion, as an act of love. But the thing is, it's always, always, even in these times where it was an act of love, of devotion, it's always the lesser person on a social hierarchy to the higher person. It's always a, a going up the chain, showing devotion to a master, or I'm not saying men are above women, but in the social stature of that day they were. It was always to a wife, to a husband, a servant, to their master, a student, to their teacher. And so Jesus turns that on its head. He's not just the master, he is the Messiah, he's the Lord of all creation, he is the creator of the universe and he gets up, takes off his robes, gets the instruments to wash a disciple's feet. And begins to wash the disgusting filth from his disciples' feet. And we can't miss in this the echo of what's happened just a few days earlier, last week, or the week before actually, because we, we grabbed a bit of John chapter 12 when we looked at John chapter 11. We, we, we read about the story of Mary in John chapter 12 verse 3. It says, Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In, in, in Jesus washing the feet, there's no perfume involved, but, but we can't miss the echo of that, and his disciples wouldn't have missed the connection because this was a few days apart at the most 
And, and so this, this moment of Mary washing or, or, or anointing the feet of Jesus is, is seen as an act of worship, an act of love for one that she's realized is the resurrection and the life, the, the, the master of the universe. And so it's mind-blowing to think that Jesus would do that for his followers. He lowers himself. The more recent NIV translation translates this, he loved them to the end. Um, Other translations say he showed them the extent of his love. This story is not just an echo of this, this moment with Mary anointing Jesus' feet. This story is an echo of what Jesus is about to do on the cross. He goes even lower. And so his love is manifest in taking the lowest position to serve others. And so this morning my title is Letting Jesus Love You. And so who are we in this story? It's important to place ourselves. Well, we're certainly not Jesus. We are his disciples in this story. Jesus' disciples were the followers of Jesus who who he shaped, but their experience is to be our experience. We follow them as as they follow Jesus, so to speak. Of course, Jesus is the author and perfecter. He's the one that we follow, but but if we find ourselves in this story, we are the disciples sitting around the table with gross feet. With Jesus. Coming around, serving us in the most degrading of ways. It's hard for us today to comprehend how low that act was in terms of status and and how gross feet would be and what that would mean. Uh, It's hard to connect with something in in our day that would be uh, the most, that would connect with, with the enormity of this act of love. But but what I want you to grab this morning is that this story is a story of Jesus showing you how much he loves you. And so the question is, will you let him love you? Or do you push that love away? Jesus says in, um, well, sorry, the story goes on in verses 6 and 8 that he came to Peter. And so we get the gist of the story that Peter wasn't the first, that others' feet had been washed. We get the sense that Peter's not the first feet that are washed. And so he's seen this happen to others. Thank you. He's seen this happen to others. And, and he's getting this picture of, wait a minute, what is Jesus doing here? This is not right. And so it says that Jesus came to Peter and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. It's a little bit Gandalf moment for the Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. You shall not wash my feet. Oh, Peter. And Jesus answers, unless I wash you, you, you have no part with me. 
And so Jesus pushes Jesus' love away. It's too much for him to take in this moment. And so Jesus says, there's nothing of a faith in me that doesn't allow me to love you. There's lots of reasons why, why Peter might be pushing Jesus' love away. Maybe he doesn't feel worthy enough. Maybe he's like, you know, one of the first things that Jesus says, that Peter says to Jesus when he's called to follow is, Lord, I'm not worthy. After the, the miraculous catch of fish. And, and so maybe it's that. Maybe Peter doesn't feel worthy of Jesus' love. Maybe he's kind of not got a sense of self-worth that, that he feels like, oh, I deserve Jesus' love. And what he misses in that moment is, it's not about his deserving, it's, it's, it's not about that at all. Jesus, we're not told that Jesus realized how awesome his disciples were, so he showed them his love. It says, he understood who he was. That the Father had put all things under his feet. See, Jesus' love isn't a product of who Peter was, it's a product of who Jesus is. Or maybe Peter was a little bit too self-righteous. Maybe he didn't want to receive, he wanted to earn. Maybe it was a matter of, when I get to the place of deserving it, then you can wash my feet. Maybe when I've done enough for you, Jesus, then I can start to receive. I thought a sinful thought this morning, but, but tomorrow I'm going to try harder and, and then you can wash my feet. Or, or maybe he's too busy kind of firing himself up to fight. You know, it's not long after this that, Jesus, that Peter is cutting off ears of Jesus' enemies. Maybe he's just too angry. This is not a love moment, this is a fighting moment. I don't know why Peter's pushing away, but the real thing we need to get to is, why, is, why are we pushing Jesus' love away? What are your reasons? See, we can psychoanalyze Peter, we can roll our eyes at his brashness, but, but that misses the point of why John has recorded this story for us. The question is, for what reasons are you pushing Jesus' love away? Because we all do it to some degree. Maybe you don't feel worthy. And as I said about Peter, it's not about your worth. It's about who Jesus is. Uh, maybe you want to earn it. And, you know, spoiler alert, that's never going to happen. Maybe you're too focused on fighting. And waving swords around and cutting off ears and... It's remarkable how little Jesus was interested in fighting. He lived in the most, one of the most corrupt political systems, the most abusive political systems the world has known. It's amazing how little he was worried about fighting it. Because it wasn't political reform that he was interested in. How do you push Jesus' love away? And the importance of this is it's not just about you. 
In fact, pushing Jesus' love away is a selfish thing to do. Because in 1 John 4.19, the same author, the same John I'm into Revelation. It's not the end times today, as far as I'm aware. In 1 John 4.19, very succinctly, it's one of those verses I'll get there and think, oh, I didn't really need to read this out. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And so the point is, if we don't let Jesus love us, then we have no capacity to truly love others. If we don't receive Jesus' love, if we don't let him first love us, then the reservoir of love from which we draw upon to love others is hopelessly depleted. And so if we feel we're not worthy and so we push Jesus' love away, then what others get is our unworthiness smeared over them. If we're trying to be self-righteous, if we're trying to fight, then what others get is our self-righteousness, which if you've ever encountered self-righteousness in another person, that doesn't feel like love. Fighting, waving swords around does not feel like love. We contend in the spiritual realm, not with one another. And so we cannot love if we don't first receive love, the degree to which we let Jesus love us is a determining, the determining factor in how well we love others. The degree into which we receive Jesus' forgiveness <coughs> pardon me, is the degree to which we're enabled to forgive others. The degree in which we receive the grace of Jesus is the degree in which we have grace for others. And so while we might be pushing Jesus' love away to a large degree, to a small degree, maybe we're Peter and we're saying, you shall not express this act of love towards me. Or maybe we're just going like, oh, just, just the toes. Because I don't want you to see how filthy I really am. But whatever it is that's causing us to push Jesus' love away, it means that others get less of it too. Because that's the point of this story. It's a story about how much Jesus loves you, but it's also a story about how much we're called to love others. In verse 14, Jesus explicitly says through to 17, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus explicitly calls us to do likewise. Now that may manifest itself at times in literally washing one another's feet. But as I said, the, the comparison doesn't really cross over into today. It, it, it might be nice to get a, what's the feet one? Pedicure? Or is that manicure? No, pedicure is the feet. It might be nice to get a pedicure. 
It is nice. I'll, I'll confess to you this morning, I've had two in my lifetime, and they were both nice. I passed on the nail polish, though. That's my decision. If you choose to go forward with that, that's up to you. That might be nice today, but it's not the same thing. And, and so I made, uh, as an act, look like feet washing as a symbolic act, but, but what it really means is taking the position of a slave to serve another, to, to humbly lower ourselves so that we might express love to others. It, it's Jesus-shaped. It's sacrificial. It's servant-hearted. To reinforce it, at the end of the chapter, or towards the end of the chapter, Jesus says in verse 34 and 35, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, that's not a new command, but the new part of that command is that it's loving like Jesus loved. But we can't love like Jesus loved unless we let him love us. Because who are we called to love? Well, we can take a look at who was at Jesus' table. And that'll give us a picture of the enormity of who we're called to love. Peter was at the table. Peter, who was gandoffing on Jesus' love. You shall not love me in this way. Peter, who would betray him. Sorry, deny him in just a few days' time. Peter, who, who boldly declared, I will never leave you, Jesus. But when that looked like humility and not fighting, he ran. thing is, they all did, except for John. They all ran. It's just Peter was the one foolish enough to say that he never would. They all ran away. Except for John. This is kind of a side note, but it's interesting that John's the one we find in this story reclining at the breast of Jesus. And so it's profound to me to think that intimacy is what leads to perseverance, not bravado. That's maybe another sermon. But intimacy with Jesus is what leads to a place of us being able to endure not our bravado. And so Peter was at the table along with all the others that would run away in his most desperate hour. Judas was also at the table who would betray him, who was stealing from the collective purse, who would become the one that would lead Jesus' enemies straight to him and betray him with a kiss. Judas was there. And perhaps in the context of this act of love, the most profound verse in this whole chapter is verse 11. If you've got your Bible with you, which I hope you do, I encourage you to look this one up. John chapter 13, verse 11. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. That blows my mind. 
Jesus knew. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that the rest of them would run away. That was the prophecy of Scripture. He knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus knew who was at his table. And yet he still got up, took off his robe, filled a basin with water, wrapped a towel around his waist and performed the most degrading of acts of love on those disciples. So this is not just about loving people that are easy to love. This is not just about loving people who've proved their worth to you. This is not just about loving those who return it. This is not just about loving those that understand that what you're doing is an act of love right now. Jesus says to them, you don't understand what I'm doing. Maybe later you will. And so the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to here is one that loves those that knife us in the back. It's one that loves those who are unfaithful to our friendships. It's loving those who don't get that what we're doing is actually loving them right now. It's loving those we don't like. It's loving the Peters, the Judases, the Levi's. It's loving them all, even when we know it's not going to turn out well. And so if you think you've got a handle on on loving others, but it's just loving those that it's easy and comfortable to love, just like me, I'm really good at loving people that I like and get love back from. I'm good at that. But if I'm going to love in the way that Jesus is talking about here, loving on Judas, knowing yet still giving him just as much affectionate love as everybody else at that table. If I'm going to love like that, and I need to let Jesus love me. Unless I really, truly, deeply encounter Jesus' love for myself in a tangible way, then I can assure you I'm, I'm not capable. I can't love Judas. Unless I really come face to face with how much I'm just like him. I can't love Peter promises much but never comes up with the goods I can't love a Peter unless I encounter deeply for myself how much I'm just like him and yet Jesus loves me this is about loving in a way that we can't comprehend until we've experienced it for ourselves in Jesus I can't preach you into that place. That's only something that is experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit taking Scripture and making it real to you. So I'm going to invite Eliza. When she's finished the act of love she's currently performing for her daughter and our worship team to come. And we will finish with a song, but I'm just going to ask Eliza and the team just to play. Whether you're here in this building, whether you're at home, whether you're listening to this podcast, 
sometime from now, whether you're watching it sometime from now. I just want to encourage you to adopt a a position primarily in your heart, but it's good to mirror that physically of receiving. And just as the music plays, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and show us how much we're loved. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come upon us now wherever we are, whenever we are. Come now, Holy Spirit, and wash our feet. Help us to see and lay down all of the things that we we use as excuses, as barriers of letting you love us. And let us simply this morning Receive your love. We repent of all the times we have sought to love out of an empty well. To love out of our own capacity. And I pray this morning for deep, transformative encounters with your love. Thank you that though I'm just like Judas, though I'm just like Peter, you still love me. You still want to wash my feet. You still want to die for me. You still contend for me. hearts be unveiled this morning that we might understand just as Jesus said to Peter you don't understand now but you will later I pray heavenly father that you give us wisdom by your holy spirit that for us later might be now that we would understand your love pray in the words of the Apostle Paul that we would be given power by the Spirit to know the height, the depth, the width, the length, the breadth of the love of Christ that is for us. May it be manifest today in Jesus' name. back into your week we want to encourage you to stay in his word stay in his love and stay strong in your faith don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via facebook instagram or via our website at ycbc.church see you soon